0: Would you bow with me in prayer and we'll study the word of God together. Our God, we thank you for this opportunity together this morning and for the privilege of studying your word. We thank you that that we get a window on the early church and how the early church worshipped and how they lived and how they cared for each other. Thank you, Lord, for this book of Acts. Thank you for its challenge to us. Thank you that it shows us the ultimate importance of the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as over and over and over again in the book of Acts, as we see the apostles presenting the gospel, they centered in this truth that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, and that he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He is a living Savior. Thank you. If there's any in our midst this morning who have yet to put their trust in him, I pray, Father, that your spirit would draw them to yourself. For those of us who have trusted Christ, I pray that we will be your people, holy, totally, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior every day. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> in Acts chapter three, we enter a new section of the book of Acts, and Luke is actually in Acts chapter three, and the following passages, Acts is actually illustrating uh, Luke rather, is actually illustrating what he taught in verses 42. To 47 about the ministry of the church. Now, uh, Chris taught us last week from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. He taught us, first of all, the place of baptism and repentance in the lives uh, of people, the need to turn from sin, to turn to God. And to be baptized as a symbol, a sign of that internal change in our lives. He taught us that. Also, he taught us in verses 42 to 47, he taught us the program of the early church. And I like the phrase that he used, they did life together. They did life together. Now, the reason I mention this is for a couple of reasons. Uh, If you would look with me at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That's the section that Luke is going to hone into in in chapter 3 and expand for us to give us a picture about what that means Verse 44 says all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued meeting together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now I just want to make a personal note here. Uh, before we get into the, uh, the, the purpose of signs and wonders in the Scripture. And that's this. <clears throat> chapter, 40, uh, chapter 2, verses 42 uh, to 47, is primarily the reason I chose to teach the book of Acts next. And the reason being is because I think that in light of the pandemic, in light of the changes we had to make we were forced to make and we, and many were right to make uh, what happened is I think the church and our understanding of what church is has taken a hit over the last year I think it's taken a hit and we've begun to see other forms of church as viable he, here here's the bottom line unless we're together it's not church now I understand that we had to make some adjustments and I'm not saying that was wrong, but I want us to make sure that our thinking is right about what church is. Let me tell you, the worst, one of the worst times of the whole pandemic for me concerning the church was when it, it first hit and we could only have 10 people in this building on Sunday morning. The 10 people that we had here were the praise team, me and our technical staff, Steve. <laughs> That was the ten people. We would come in here. We would do a service. Put it on Facebook Live. And we would finish. And they're all great people, by the way. And they're great people to be around. I'm not, I'm not saying that anything about the people who were here. It wasn't church. You guys, you guys who were here, you praise team members. Didn't you say that many times? This is just plain weird many times the praise team said this is just plain weird it's not right and it wasn't right because the word for church in greek is ekklesia which means an assembly an assembly it's not a building never used of a building in the scripture it's always used of people assembled for the purpose of worshiping learning about praising god and we need to remember that again I understand we had to do certain things because of the pandemic. I understand that. But we need to always remember that unless you're here, this isn't a church. And when we're together, it's church. uh, Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. When we can, as we can, We need to readjust our thinking and understand what church really is all about. Church is about people caring for each other, as Chris showed us last week, doing life together. That's what church is. It's not sitting in front of a TV set. It's not sitting in front of a computer or a smartphone. It's doing life together. So, that's just a personal note. Um, the reason I go back to Acts chapter two, verse forty-two to forty-seven, is because that's what Luke is doing in chapter three of the book of Acts. That was that's what Luke is doing. He's beginning to illustrate <clears throat> in this chapter the things that he was talking about, the way the early church operated, and he's beginning to illustrate that. By various events in the life of the church. And this first event in the life of the church is found in Luke, excuse me, by Luke in Acts chapter 3, where we have the healing of the man who was born crippled. The healing of the man who was born crippled. Before we get into that, I want to give you a little general thought of what we're going to see in Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 through Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. Uh, One writer put it this way, that there are two things that the early church did. Two things that the early church did. Number one, they witnessed faithfully to Jesus Christ. They witnessed faithfully to Jesus Christ. And we see that we see that over and over and over again that their primary, their primary ministry was to witness, was to witness to the uh, to Jesus Christ. Secondly, and this is very important, they resisted all efforts, they resisted all efforts by the world to compromise their message. They resisted all efforts by the world. To compromise their message. You see, the early church, and, and, and this is always a danger for us as the church. There's always a danger to adjust your message to the way the culture's going. We don't ever do that. We don't adjust our message according to how the culture is going. We have the word of God, the very word of God, and we always Make that our message, and it's not what the culture believes. It's not what politicians believe. It's what the Word of God says, and that's the second thing they did. They, the early church, witnessed faithfully to Jesus Christ, and secondly, they, they as one writer put it, resisted all efforts by the world for it to compromise this message. They didn't compromise their message for political authorities. They didn't compromise their message for religious authorities. You and I are going to see that as we go through this book. They didn't compromise their message for cultural reasons. They understood that the Word of God was central to their message and that had to be what they taught. And they couldn't fudge on the Word of God I like a favorite passage of mine in Oswald Chambers, and it happens to be a favorite passage of Franco Cello's. so if you see him, tell him you heard his favorite passage. From Oswald Chambers, Oswald Chambers said this, speaking to future pastors and missionaries, Never water down the Word of God. Preach it in its undiluted sternness. There must be unflinching loyalty to the Word of God. Unflinching loyalty to the Word of God. But then he said this: But when you come to personal dealing with your fellow men, remember who you are, not a special being made up in heaven, but a sinner saved by grace. In other words, he's saying that you and I stand for the Word of God. That is it no matter how stern its message seems to be, we stand on, stand for, stand up for the Word of God. But we do it in the right spirit. Not as if we're some being sent from heaven. But we do it in a spirit of love, a spirit of patience, a spirit of understanding. But we never compromise the Word of God. We never compromise the Word of God. Once we do that, it's all over, folks. Once we do that, it's all over. And the early church didn't do that. They didn't do that. Well, these incidents starting in chapter 3 will illustrate the first three to five years of the church. Approximately 30 to 35 A.D. will be illustrated starting in chapter uh, 3 illustrate the first years of the church, how it witnessed and the opposition it faced. How it witnessed and the opposition it faced. Now, as I said, chapter 3, Luke shares with us the healing of the man born lame. He shares that with us to begin to explain to us what chapter 2 and verse 43 meant when it said everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, that raises the question for us, what is the place of signs and wonders? And there, what was the place in the early church? What is the place, if any, today of signs and wonders? Uh, signs, by the way, the, the word wonders there in chapter 2 and verse 43 is defined by one of the scholars as miracles evoking awe. Miracles evoking awe. And the word miraculous signs, the words miraculous signs are defined as miracles pointing to a divine truth. So the point is these were special acts, special acts, call them miracles, special signs, special wonders that were meant to evoke draw attention and point to a divine truth we'll see that when we get to verse 11 which won't be till next week but we'll see that when we get to verse 11 because a crowd gets drawn because of the healing of this man born lame a crowd gets drawn and gives peter an opportunity once again To share the truth of the word of God with the people. Well, let's let's look at this whole issue of signs and wonders. Uh, kind of make a couple of points about what the Bible teaches, and uh, kind of try to come to a conclusion. A couple of things, a couple of points to make about signs and wonders. According to chapter 2 and verse 22, and why don't you turn there if you don't mind, please, in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 22, where we see the purpose of signs and wonders in the life of Jesus. The purpose of signs and wonders in the life of Jesus. This is Acts, chapter 2 and verse 22. Men of Israel, this is in Peter's message, On the day of Pentecost, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. All right, that's a key phrase there. Jesus was a man accredited by God to you. How did God accredit Jesus? How did God verify who Jesus was? Peter goes on to say, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. How? By miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through Him as you yourself know. In other words, Jesus works His signs, His wonders, His miracles, His healings, His casting out demons, His raising people from the dead, all of them were signs that accredited Him as the Messiah. Because as all the Jews knew from the Old Testament, those are the things that Messiah would do. When somebody came, healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, that would be a sign of who that person is. Was and it was a sign accrediting Jesus Christ. So signs and wonders, first and foremost, were meant to accredit, to point to, who Jesus Christ was and is. The second thing we want to understand, the things that the apostles did, the signs and wonders that the apostles did, were of the same nature and character as His. He healed, they healed. He cast out demons, they cast out demons. He raised people from the dead, they raised people from the dead. So, you see, the works of the apostles were of the same nature and character uh, character as Jesus signs and wonders. These miraculous works were meant to identify the apostles with Jesus and His ministry. The miraculous words that, works that the apostles did was meant to identify them with Jesus, with His ministry, with His works. How do we know that? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. And if you want to, please turn there. If not, just uh, uh, write it down for your own study. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Paul defending his apostleship says this the things that mark an apostle signs wonders and miracles were done among you with great perseverance Paul is defending his ministry he's saying the works that verify an apostle, that characterize an apostle, that accredit an apostle, were done in Paul's life. So the miraculous works were meant to identify the apostles with Jesus and to identify the apostles with Jesus' ministry and Jesus' message. It authenticated the message of the apostles. It authenticated. So do you see, Jesus did signs and wonders which authenticated him as Messiah. His apostles did signs and wonders which authenticated their message and their work as being from him and connected with him. That's an important link to see there. Acts chapter 14 and verse 3 gives us a little more insight as well. And again, you can write it down, but Acts chapter 14... And verse 3, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. You see the accrediting nature of the signs and wonders, the connecting, identifying nature of the signs and wonders that they did to show That they were connected to Jesus, connected to his ministry. Now, one thing that you and I have that they did not have was what? Want to take a guess? What do we have that the apostles were lacking? The Bible, the New Testament. It was only just being written. Parts of it, small parts of it had been written by the time we have uh, so, some of the books of the New Testament, but the completion of the New Testament would be years off. They didn't have the New Testament. You and I have the New Testament to see the completed record. So, what is the place of signs and wonders? Well, uh, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 By the second and third generation of the church, they had already stopped happening. They were already not happening. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Again, you can write it down for your study. But in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we read this. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. How was it confirmed? Well, the Lord and those who heard Him, verse 4, God testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Spirit. What the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying is that Jesus... Miracles confirmed who he was. Jesus, The miracles that Jesus did were done in his apostles, which confirmed who they were. But after that, the confirmation comes through the word of God, not through the signs and not through the miracles. Well, you say, well, and, and people who, who promote signs and miracles say, well... No, wouldn't it be a great thing to be able to do signs and miracles and, and we'll get people's attention and p- when people see the miracles that are done from our hands, won't they believe in Jesus? Not necessarily. How do we know that? Well, we have evidence in the Scripture. Turn to the book of Luke in chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 is a familiar passage to most of us. In Luke chapter 16, we are told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. You remember that story? Now, some people believe that's a, that's a parable. Uh, I don't believe it's a parable. I'm with those who would, would believe it was an actual event, an actual happening, because people are named. People are named. Lazarus is named. There is no parable where a person is named. All of the parables that we see in the scripture use a generic term, like a farmer went to sow seed. Not Farmer Joe went to sow seed, but a farmer went to sow seed. Uh, If Luke 16 is a parable, then it is the only one where a person's named. I think for that reason, it's not a parable. I think it's an actual event. And you know the story. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Uh, There was the rich man who lived in luxury, Lazarus, who was covered with sores, longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table, and the dogs came and licked his sores. Well, the time came when they both died, and the evidence of their lives became apparent that Lazarus had put his faith in God, and the rich man had not because Lazarus went to a place that the Scripture calls Abraham's bosom, which is another term for paradise or another term for heaven. Lazarus went to heaven. The rich man went to a place of torment. A place of torment. And and you remember what happened. The rich man said, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus over to me and let him dip some water that he can drip on my tongue for I am in this place of torment. Boy, when I read that and I realize what hell is really going to be like You know, we have so many people that make a mockery and make a joke about hell. Well, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell where all my friends are. Oh, really? They don't have one clue as to what a horrible place hell will be for all eternity for those who go there. A place of darkness, a place of the absence of good, Total absence of good. This world's a pretty horrible place. Wouldn't you say? You don't have to agree with me. I think it's a pretty horrible place, but at least there's good in it. You can still find good people doing good things in this world. Imagine going to a place where there's absolutely no good, the total absence of good. That's what hell is. And a place of torment. There won't be anybody making jokes about it then. There won't be anybody thinking it's one gigantic beer bust through all eternity. Well, he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Please send Lazarus to warn my brothers. How many people in hell will be saying that? And Abraham replied, oh, that's really a great idea. A a sign and wonder. That'll make the brothers believe. Somebody coming back from the dead. That'll make the brothers believe. No, no, that's not what he said. Look at Luke 16. Verse 29, Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Now what does he mean by Moses and the prophets? The Old Testament. They have the Old Testament. Let them listen to them. In other words, if they're not going to listen to the Word of God, they're not going to listen to somebody that comes back from the dead and has a gigantic miracle to share. He makes it clear in verse 30. No father Abraham, the rich man said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. In other words, you and... I have at our disposal something greater, something more powerful, something more spectacular than signs and wonders. We have the Word of God. We have the Word of God. Which is far greater than miracles, far greater than signs, far greater than wonders. Why do we choose the lesser? I have theories about that, but I don't have time to share them. Why do we choose the lesser? The signs and wonders and miracles had a specific purpose, and that purpose was to verify the identity and ministry of Jesus Christ, to verify the identity and ministry of the apostles, that it was still Jesus working through them, Let me add a couple more things quickly. Of all the things the scripture says about signs and wonders and miracles, most all of them are warnings. 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 Matthew chapter 7. verses 21 to 23. I like, I like the message, Eugene Peterson, just to, just to read it. I don't study the message, it's a paraphrase. You never use a paraphrase for a study. You use a good translation like the NIV or the NASB or even the King James if you like that. Uh, you use a good translation for study. You use a paraphrase to, to, to get some color. Uh, in the message, Eugene Peterson paraphrased Matthew 7:21 to 23 this way: I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, "Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat." All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Jesus warned Matthew chapter 7. And you know the original translations. Jesus said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. People who came to him and said, don't you? I cast out demons in your name. I did miracles in your name. And Jesus said, Get away from me. I never knew you. He warned again in Matthew chapter 24, verses 24 and 25. Matthew chapter 24, verses 24 and 25. For false Christs and false prophets will appear. He's talking about in the end of the age. And perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Jesus is warning us about those who do wonders, signs, miracles. He's warning us not to trust them. Remember, Exodus chapter 7, verses 11 and 22. The Egyptian magicians could mimic even some of Moses' miracles. Now, there was a point at which they could not, but they were able to mimic some of his earlier miracles. So, not everybody who does a sign or a wonder is genuine. In fact, the preponderance of evidences in the New Testament is that they are not. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses nine to 11. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses nine to 11. <clears throat> Paul warned us, warned the church. The coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. In other words, Satan is the great imitator. Satan is the great imitator of the truth, great copy of the truth. They will be, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who who are perishing. You see, signs and wonders can draw people to evil as well as good. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish, why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now, there are three other warnings I don't have time to turn to. I do want to get a little into chapter 3 today. Uh, Let me ask you to write them down. Revelation 13, 13. Revelation 16, 14. Revelation 19, 20. One more word of caution there and then I have a couple of concluding uh, at least this section. We'll get a little into chapter 3. Those who follow extra-biblical revelation, that is outside the Bible, whether they're led to them by signs or wonders or miracles, are on dangerous ground. They are on dangerous ground. It is always dangerous to believe and follow that which is not in Scripture. It is always dangerous to believe and follow that which is not in Scripture. It's dangerous to a person's life to follow extra-biblical revelation. You see, the Word of God was given to us as a safeguard. It was given to us as a safeguard. If someone entices you with something that's against the biblical text, They're trying to hurt you. They're not trying to help you. The word is a safeguard. That's why, even if somebody says they spoke to Jesus, especially if somebody says they spoke to Jesus, flee as fast as you can. Because the only way you and I can speak to Jesus today is to open the Bible. And as much as I dislike red letter editions, read the red letters. (laughs) Read the red letters if you want Jesus to speak to you. That's your only safe way. There's a website called Got Answers which uh, has a good doctrinal statement. I like the things that I've seen in them so far. If you ever have questions, they're a good place to go. They're talking about one of the current groups that push this whole idea of the need for signs and wonders and miracles, and said this, At this organization, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are expected to be commonplace. Miraculous healings, visions, dreams, prophecies, tongues, word of knowledge, signs, wonders, are claimed to be constant within the ministry of this group. Their claims regarding the gifts of the Spirit did not at all agree with what the Bible presents. In the New Testament, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit authenticated the teachings of the apostles. If miracles are normal, they cannot have an authenticating quality to them. We would all be wise to remember Jesus' warnings. And then they quote Matthew 24, 24, and which we have just read. There's another place, if you wish to do further study about this, and also, we're not going to get to healing today, but we will get to it next week. If you'd like further study about signs, wonders, healing, I recommend highly to you John MacArthur's book, Charismatic Chaos. Charismatic Chaos. He says this, Virtually everything the New Testament says about signs and wonders in the last days is a warning against false teachers who will use miracles to deceive. Jesus said false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I've told you in advance. Remember, MacArthur says, the only true test of whether a person or movement is from God is not signs and wonders but teaching that conforms to God's Word. And the highest expression of God's power in the world today is not some spectacular and unusual sign or wonder, but the tranquil godliness of a Spirit-controlled life. That's a great statement. Well, quickly, let's just get a couple of verses in here. Let's look at Acts chapter 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Uh, Peter and John. John is the brother of James. And uh, Peter and John are found often together in Scripture. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, they're partners in the fishing business. In Luke chapter 22, verse 8, they prepared the last supper or last Passover for Jesus. In John 20, verses 3 and 4, they ran to the tomb. On that first Easter morning and in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, Peter and John ministered together to the Samaritans. So we often find them together. One thing we also see is that those who came to Christ out of Judaism at this point in the history of the church still continued to participate in Jewish worship. That's why they were going up to the temple at three in the afternoon. That was the time of the evening prayer and the time of the evening sacrifice. They continued to be, as one writer called them, observant Jews. So there were times of prayer at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. Well, this is the evening time of prayer in conjunction with the evening sacrifice. Verse 2, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. He doesn't tell us here at this point how old this man is. Later in chapter 4, he will tell us that the man was over 40 years old. So think about this. He has been lame since birth. For over 40 years, he was helpless and he was hopeless he was helpless and he was hopeless and so every day he would have people bring him i want you to really get into this get into the whenever you read the word of god get into the atmosphere you know what i mean by atmosphere right what what's going on in the what what are going what's going on in people's thoughts their lives their now remember the word of god the written word of god is the Is the safeguard but it's okay to use a little bit of of uh, uh, creativity to think about what would I feel like if I was born unable to walk and the only thing that I could see that was available to me was to have people day after day after day after day after day after day bring me to the temple so that people can give me a few pennies. That was what his life was like. He was hopeless. He was helpless. He was carried to this particular gate because there would be a lot of traffic there at the afternoon prayer time. Um, Excuse me, the giving of alms, as one writer said, was considered meritorious. That is, you could gain merit with God if you gave money. There are a lot of people that put that lie out there today. There are a lot of churches that put that lie out there today. You can gain merit with God somehow. That's a meritorious work. It's interesting, the temple gate is named here. It's the temple gate beautiful. It's one of the nine gates that led from the court of the Gentiles into the temple itself. It strikes me, it strikes me that Man is able to make a beautiful gate, but only God is able to make a beautiful life. Man can make a beautiful gate, but only God can make a beautiful life. Well, verse 3. When He saw Peter and John about to enter, He asked them for money. Peter looked straight in at Him as did John, Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. The man asked for money. At the end of the day, he will still be a crippled man with a few pennies in his robe. All he could think of, that's as high as his goal was for him, as high as his vision was for what could happen in his life. He expected to get something from them, it tells us. What he expected was money. Now, I see a couple of applications to us here real quickly. One is that how big is our vision? How big is our vision of what God can do with our lives and in our lives? This man was content to have a few pennies at the end of a day. Our vision is small, God's vision for us is large. Our vision is small, God's vision for us is large. He was expecting to get something. Peter says to him, silver or gold I do not have. Well, that's not entirely true. The early church had resources. How do we know that? Well, back in chapter 2 once again, when the passage that we studied last week, back in chapter 2 that that, uh, Chris took us through last week. In Acts chapter 2, we're told that all the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. In other words, by the way, that's not Christian communism. It drives me nuts. When people say, the the Bible teaches socialism and communism. Baloney! It doesn't. It does not teach socialism or communism. This was entirely and strictly voluntary on the part of the church. But the point is, they had a fund to help out those in need. So when Peter said, silver and gold have I none... What he was really saying to the man is, money isn't what you need. Money isn't what you need. Because there's something greater that he needed and something greater that could be offered to him. Money wasn't what he needed. He thought it was, he thought it was, but he couldn't see beyond that night. He couldn't see what God might be able to do in his life, in his body, in his soul. Peter said, money's not what you need. By the way, I decided to use Peter's approach one time. We had this young man come to the old building, the old church down on Spring Street. And we had a lot of people coming down there asking for help. And uh, he, he was, came asking for money. And I said, sort of paraphrasing Peter, <laughs> Money's not your real need. What you really need is Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so we had an interesting argument—I mean, uh, discussion uh, for, for the next, I don't know how long. I don't know that I convinced him. But Peter's saying here, there's something greater than, than money. And do you notice, Peter said, silver and gold have I none. He didn't say to him, hey, we have a benevolence fund. We'll help you out of that. He said, you need something greater. You need something better. And that is you need to be healed. Well, there's a lot more that can be said about that. And what is going to happen next? You'll have to come back next week. Let's bow. Lord, thank you. Oh Lord, there's so many issues that can come into our lives as believers. So many opportunities. Oh, Lord, we see, we see people just like that man every week, sometimes every day, who think that what they need is money, And think that that will solve their issues in life when they really need something better. Help us not to be afraid or ashamed to offer what's better. A relationship with the God of the universe who can heal bodies, who can heal, most importantly, souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.